You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, it's been forever, and you're, you know, <laughs> I, I want to watch you uh, into your, your sweet brown eyes, <laughs> and you've got your face buried in that iPad. I just... Well, because I made I, notes. I feel like your wife. I made notes. <laughs> uh, I, it's... it's uh, if, if people can't tell from my voice, once again, I'm a little bit sick. Your I, balls have dropped. Why don't you just finally admit it? <laughs> But I mean, let's face it, it's just, it's something I don't do half-ass. When I get sick, I make sure I'm, I'm sick, so. Yeah, I know. You're I've going through puberty finally, and we're all very proud of you. I've been sick for like six weeks. It's, call it what you will. Your voice is changing. I am so proud of you. So, I've been away traveling. That or you're not wearing your underwear right. I've been away traveling. You, I'm just going to like disregard what you're saying, because you're acting like a jackass. You're, you're going, you, you went somewhere. Yes, you went away. Yes, I was uh, visiting the Langdock. Yeah. And... And you were you were going to bring some some stuff back, as in podcast material. I was bringing podcast material. I was hoping to bring wines back as well, but there was a bit of a mix up in terms of trying to bring some samples back and whatnot. Uh, so there is a chance that we could do some tasting down the road. I'm just waiting to hear what's going to make it onto this side of the ocean and how. Um, I, I'm not going to give you too much, but like Cremant de Limou is oh. a wine from. The uh, the Languedoc region. I do like and, that stuff. Um, it wasn't the focus of the trip that I was on, but it's definitely something where I met a producer, um, and I'm just going to put that little nugget on the table as a bit of a tease. We're going to see about sitting down and speaking with her uh, to talk about how the Champagne was stole the method for making traditional wine from Lugo. Oh yes, you told me this and you don't want to you don't want to give away the stories. So. No, and she did such a good job telling it and I mean it's just it's just kind of one of those cool like you know what it's not really based 100% in fact and it happened so long ago that there's all these urban legends but when you can get someone who can tell a great story, I mean that's the reason we do the podcast, right? Yeah. Exactly. And frankly, we have guests on because they do better jobs they telling do, yeah. stories than we do. Than we do, yeah. We tell we tell a pretty good story, but usually it's about our own lives, not other people's. No, totally, totally. You totally nailed that one. So, so you went obviously, and you, I know you went a little bit early because you wanted to spend a little time in um, uh, in Burgundy. Yes. And I understand you got all naked into a vat of wine with. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the, in oh, the next okay. podcast. That's I really right. just want this to be because. Um, I actually spent a lot of time. I on like this. how you didn't deny that you got all naked. In no, a no, no. There's actually, it's actually a great story to, to go with that. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about you on this trip uh, because I know how much you love your Rhone wines. I do like the Rhone. I do like Languedoc as well. I think they make some really good stuff. And the producers that we were visiting, it was a lot of small producers. It was organic producers, some biodynamics that we saw. And, you know, I think it, it, it comes down to, uh, I think you and I need to do a little bit of legwork to just figure out about biodynamics in cooler climates. I know Langdok isn't cool climate, but um, I know that we've talked about just, I, I don't know, I think Southbrook might be the only biodynamic winery left in Ontario. Could, are, could are, are be. Still... Taz, I think, is doing a little bit, but not biodynamic. But I, I mean, that's the thing, though, is, is I, I don't think you can be a little bit biodynamic. Like, you have the strict set of rules that you have to follow and you have to do it. But when you see... A biodynamic winery where things are thriving—it's glorious. See, I don't—I don't think it should be done in Ontario. We have too much. There's too yeah, much but, but, disease pressure. Yeah, there's too yeah, much and, everything and, and, here, and there's a, there's a and that's there's a lot of problems. Well, I think that's something we need to research a little bit more. Maybe we'll sit down with 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 uh, Bill Redelmeyer, and I'm sure he would love to to go down that with us. But um, you know, having seen the biodynamic uh, highways that they have in um, at Benziger, 
in California and taking a look at some of the biodynamic biodynamics she oh, took three tries biodynamics happening in the Langdock when you see a healthy biodynamic vineyard it really is like it's glorious and when I say the highways it's not actual highways it's you have little plots of land uh, within your vineyards where you have plants and and fruits and vegetables planted that help attract healthy insects and uh, you know you're trying to attract the predators to help deal with but we're, we're talking about also a a a warm climate, right? Yes. Like a, a consistently warm climate. Where I think in a cool climate, it's it's much more more difficult to get into that biodynamic kind of frame of mind and get that vineyard in there. Uh, just because we have a lot of we do have a lot of pressure. We have a lot of cold. We have a lot of rain. We got a lot of humidity. Uh, when you were in the Long Doc, though, uh, and I don't mean to get you off track here, but yeah. did you go to a place called Les Jamelles? I did not. Okay, so I just I just. Uh, happened to have lunch uh, recently with Laurent Delaunay, and he told a great story about his winery and also about about being one of the pioneers of the South. So I was wondering if you had got your way there. So no, we, we did visit a lot of a lot of small wineries, and there were some very impressive people. And um, I mean, I could have written really detailed tasting notes. Uh, a lot of these wines are available at SAQ, not so much in Ontario. So. If you're an agent looking for some opportunities in Ontario, there's definitely some very small organic producers that would need some love. Um, like and, the, the, and the prices aren't horrible, right? You, no, I'm looking at my list. Like, I mean, there were a few wineries. Like every winery we went to had kind of a top tier wine at like 30, 35 euros. But let's face it: if you go to visit visit France and you go to I don't know Burgundy as I did, most places their top tier does not stop at 35 euros. It goes yeah. up and up and up. Um, so, I mean, the most impressive wines I tasted were kind of around that, that 15 to 20 euro mark. Okay. And we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, greatest hits albums here. Like something you just want to listen to over and over again. Something you can just covet and cherish and, and put away. Um, and what were the grape varieties that you were looking at there? Was it, was it the international grape varieties or do they do anything, you know, anything really neat and special? That Well, Carignan is okay. really yeah uh, that's that's i think what the langdock is leaning towards putting their hat on uh and but, but I, I did find it interesting because it's a lot of saint so syrah grenache mourvedre so the same varieties you find in the Rome. southern road yeah. uh, but they don't they definitely don't taste the same like it's the whole concept of of terroir okay um you know it's like a really concentrated shadow nifty pap will just knock you right onto your ass with its its you know concentrated flavors it's an awful lot like I, I I think it's the closest thing in France you find to drinking something like an Amarone, in my opinion. Andre, did you learn anything about the history of the Languedoc? Like I know that um, they were known a lot for like jug wines. Yeah. And then um, then they started to get into quality wines. And I think that's fairly recent, like in the last 25, 30 years, they stopped the idea of of, you know, jug wines and then getting on to quality wines uh you know better better vineyard practices. yeah definitely I, I i much of the trip i don't think there was like it wasn't really brought front and center that we talked about kind of the bruised reputation of the the region but i mean it was it was sort of like an elephant in the room with the producers that we were visiting uh you know keeping in mind that uh i don't i don't want to say anything bad about the producer sort of whose name was said out of both sides of their mouth, but there's a massive producer in the Langdock whose wines are very present in Ontario 
who, I mean, it's hit and miss whether or not his wines are good, but it's sort of like a George Dubuff situation where you have someone who's helping to raise the profile of Langdock into making premium wine, but I think the problem is with the hit and miss, which is why you have people talking out of both sides of their mouths, where the producers I was visiting, um, we're talking about really small producers focus on high-quality terroir-driven wines. But again, they're not coming into Ontario that you know of at the moment. They no. are most likely going to be at the SAQ. And yes. that's, you know, that obviously it's French wine, Quebec. So there always seems to be, uh, you know, the SAQ seems to... Be ahead I of guess the curve, lead, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure on that. No, but I know you and I, like when we make our, our trip to... Um, our trip to Saguenay every year. We always yep. make sure that we have a bit of a shopping list. We're usually stocking up on Beaujolais, not available at the LCB. But um, hello, but, Dominique Perron. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, there's a like I, I made a list of the producers, kind of just going on. If we wanted to timeline the trip that I was on, like um, often when you go on these trips, like there's one or two producers that stand out where it's just like, oh my god, this moved me right to my very core. Like I think about my trip to Bordeaux and my visit to Chateau La Rose. I would go way out of my way to, to get that. And I tasted at some fantastic places in Bordeaux, but that one place, just both the experience and the wine stood head and shoulders. With the Langdoc, like I have seven wineries here that um, I have very vivid images of what the wines tasted like, who the people were that made them. And, um, you know, the fact that I went into Langdoc with a blank slate, like, you know, there are a lot of little AOCs split out over the region, it's one of the largest wine. Well, sorry, not one of. It is the largest wine producing region in, in France. France. Yes, um, but I mean each area with its 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 distinct terroir. When you get just a taste of each one, like I couldn't even tell you which region was my favorite. Uh, so they've broken it down into regions, so it's not like Languedoc-Roussillon. They've actually broken it down into uh, smaller sub-regions. Is, is that what I'm I'm supposed to be understanding now? Because I I know that they are. Um, trying to brand themselves as Sud de France, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, but I mean, if we're I think if we're talking about Sud de France, we're talking about like branding to just. You brought that home in your luggage. I did bring this home in my luggage. This... I brought it home in my carry-on because it's really cool. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure we. We're I... gonna take a picture of what I've brought out, and that's gonna be our avatar. I was gonna say that this. should be the thing for this one. Like that's a really that's a quite the map. I it can't is it is, that. 3D, did, did it, it is a three D it is a three D paper or... map. No. no no no, I brought it back in my carry-on, so that's cool. it. It's a three D paper map. So. We, I started in Montpellier, which is the most east region of... I actually um, had wines from Montpellier that actually said Montpellier on them, yes. And then we kind of worked our way th through the region, kind of crisscrossing back and forth and ended up in Toulouse, which is not part of um, Languedoc, Roussillon. Um, but you can take a look at this map. Like, it's carved up into, into smaller regions. So we visited uh, Domaine Pierre Clavel, our first day there, and he works with AOC Peak Saint-Loup. And these were, and I know for lack of a better word, like Rhone-style wines. We're talking about Sanso, Syrah, Grenache, Mourvedre. And um, Pierre Clavel's wines, like they topped out at 21 euros. And bringing those back, it would be a dead ringer for really great Southern Rhone. The balance in these wines are incredible for how far south it is in, in France. Like I was expecting the wines to be warmer. Uh, but the the balance in these wines were all fantastic. Like we're yeah. talking really great acidity to mate that really ripe fruit flavors. Like there's nothing that I tasted that would push, you know, push itself into that kind of jammy 
old school California Merlot feeling. It's just really interesting to see some of these uh, this this map. And again, you really got to take a nice picture of this. I yeah. don't know if anybody, but you know the Peak Saint Lou. I've I've had uh, Mernevois. I've seen that. Yep. Uh, obviously Limoux, uh, Corbiere. Like this is a, this is a very interesting map and shows how the Languedoc, although um, you know mostly just called Languedoc. Uh, now I think it's been shortened down. I, I don't think most people say Languedoc Roussillon yeah. anymore. Uh, they just said the Languedoc. But I do like the idea that they've gone Sud de France, uh, and and that's and that's kind of what they're trying to to brand themselves. And it says that right here on your map as well. Uh, and it's that is a really great representation of, of what the the region is all about. And I like the fact that they are now start starting to break it down where the wines are from, totally, and not just from. So it's kind of, I guess, just to bring it back to where we are is. Uh, you know, Ontario decided to break itself down. Well, Niagara did into its sub-appellation. Into, into and you know, it's the thing that's that um, kind of sucks about being a journalist on this trip was getting to visit kind of one or two wineries in each region. It's really tough for me to say, okay, the wines from Peak Saint Lou taste exactly like this compared to the wines in Saint Chinian. Um, you know, to to do the breakdown because I really just got you know I got the hors d'oeuvre. I got I got the I got the platter. The hors d'oeuvres. But I mean, that's it's a cool thing. though. It's like I said, like the challenge I have when I go back, and I mean, there's a chance I might go back actually next summer to just go and and see what some of these wines taste like. Um, the second day we were there, Domaine de Seben, um, Bridget Chevalier, Brigitte Chevalier is the owner of this winery, and it was super impressive where she talked about the soils, uh, schist soils on her property. Um, it was another winery where uh, there's a wine she makes called Les Bancelles. It's 17 euros a bottle. I'm going to do everything in my power to get a bottle of this wine for you. Because 17 euros works out to about $23, $24 Canadian. I don't think I could find anything on the planet that would give me more like more bang quality, buck, more bang yeah. for my buck than the Les Bancelles from Domaine de Saben. And there's a lot of really good producers that I visited here. Like you, you could see here, I've got my list and hopefully we'll get a chance to go through go through all of them. Well, give give a, give us a little bit of a shout out to. Uh, well, I want to let's move down. Now that I'm giving a shout out to Domaine de Saben, and it was really cool to see a lot of the places that we were visiting were in the middle of harvest. Actually, I think all of them were in the middle yeah, of harvest. So it's, it's really cool to see how healthy the vines are, but it's also cool to taste the fruit right off the vine because it's, it's one of the things. Like especially since I've started my little wine project ADX, like when you get to taste wine grapes as they're getting close to harvest, like. Um, you eventually get a, a point where you can kind of picture where it's going to go. But like when you taste a fully ripe Mourvedre grape, the, um, the intensity of the sweetness, like you can just taste that extra sugar that's going to be turned into alcohol okay. in that fruit. But I mean, I could have taken a bunch of Mourvedre off the sorting table and just eaten it. It was one of the tastiest things. Put them I've on ever your salad. Eaten. Totally. But I mean, it would have been a waste of grapes that could have been turned into wine. Well, if you just, you know, let them ferment in your stomach and all that. <laughs> um, I think another cool thing about Languedoc uh, was a lot of the producers that we went and visited is just because the region's in the middle of kind of re-emerging itself as a, a legitimate wine region as opposed to a bulk wine region. When we visited Domenle's Eminade, and I'm never going to forget the names of the owners of this winery because it's uh, Patricia and Luke Batoni. But Luke introduced himself to us as Luke, like Luke Skywalker, only Luke Skywiner. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, maybe not. 
Um, but we went, we tasted his wines at a really small, um, really small production facility. Uh, but he's experimenting with uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Really? All right. Well, yeah, yeah, I can see that. But I mean, it's I I I don't believe the wine was AOC, but people in Langdoc seem to be have seem to have a little bit more freedom to experiment with other varieties. I know I've talked in the past about uh, producers in Beaujolais really feeling like their hands are strapped. Uh, Correct. Yeah, to I'd... experiment with things like Viognier. So I, I could be wrong, but was not the Languedoc Roussillon? I don't know if you learned it. Wasn't it uh, at one time called the Jardin de France? Is that uh, <laughs> no, clue. no no clue? Am I just my French history is is a, is not as good as my French I, language? Because I, be- I believe what what the the reason that they made a lot of jug wine was because it was like the place everybody came down. You know, Bordeaux didn't have a good Cabernet Sauvignon year. They would just you know head down there and grab some Cabernet Sauvignon and throw and it into the it back? yeah and haul it back and make um, you know. Uh, or help help their wines along, and I believe that's you know where it got its its bad reputation. I could be totally wrong here, but that's that's what I believe the long duck was, no, was th- mostly known for. I think, I think for. when you're talking about bad reputation, it's a lot of bulk wines, nameless wines that have have made it out. I mean, when you're dealing with a climate that, I guess, prior to climate change really becoming front and center, you can crop your grapes a little bit higher. You can produce a little bit more fruit for acre. And I mean, if you're making wines that you're selling for a few euros a bottle, why not, right? Yeah, just it's uh, just really interesting to see what's what's going on there, and and to see that you've got like a, I've never seen you bring so many notes back usually, and that you actually brought this map back is kind of weird. I don't think I'm pretty sure I would have taken a picture of it and left it, but yeah, you- no, I'm I'm buying a frame for it to to put it up. The food was very good. A lot of really. Really good seafood down there. I also saw the, some of your, of your your steak pictures and stuff like that. You were, I had a lot were, of beef. Yeah, but I mean that's the prairie boy in me. I feel legally obligated to order beef when it's on the menu, and it's actually my favorite thing. I, I'd never noticed this when I've been to France before. Because very rarely do I eat like multiple steaks on the trip, but I was there long enough. I'd steak uh, two or three times, but I've just noticed the servers. They don't ask you how you want your meat cooked. They say we serve it rare. Is that okay? And you were okay with that? Well, of course. I'm just checking. And then, uh, and then we were just saying, like, I think there's certain kitchens in France where if you ask for it well done, the chef wouldn't cook it for you. Probably not, but <laughs> that's just that's the arrogance of the French. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of like like a lot of history down in the in the south of France. Like when we were in Narbonne, I just posted a picture on Instagram today at Andre Wine Review, and I mean, this should be released shortly after I posted this photo um, of canal that you walk. We walked down the canal, which was along our hotel. And it was really cool to see, like, there's houseboats in the canal of Narbonne where people are living. Like, we could see people's living rooms with, like, a big TV like I have on my wall right now, just chilling out watching TV in their houseboat along the canal. Um, I mean, just really beautiful, scenic little cities in the and, and villages in the and, south of France. And with global warming and everything, you're probably the best thing to be is on a, on a houseboat. Yeah, because you'll just, you'll just rise up with the tide instead of being under it. And I know it's jumping ahead a bit uh, while we're talking about the tourism part um, before I talk about some more of the wines and the wineries that we visited, but we uh, spent our last night in Carcassonne before we took off from Toulouse. Um, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you've you've got to go to Carcassonne. Like, if you're a fan of just, like, old, old buildings, like, they have a, a citadel, which is, it's a really, really big castle. And, like, part of my life is, like, it's a big castle like right like right in the middle of this this city uh and it's i mean i think many people but a lot of people when they travel you know they come back you go see the sites you go see and 
I mean, you go to France, you go to the Louvre, you go to the Eiffel Tower. That's cool. Everyone has done that. You need to get your ass to Carcassonne. Uh, it's a beautiful just, city. And just to see the Citadel and, and walk around inside it, like we're talking about a, a, a fortified castle that construction began, you know, a thousand years ago where you have shops and restaurants like it's big enough that shops and restaurants exist inside the walls of this of this castle you gotta go you seem very excited by this whole thing yeah i i mean it's it's you know you see a lot of the fiction on the big screen right like you see the castles on game of thrones and you know that that's a fiction that's been created out of the mind of of george R. R. martin the fact that we actually have people who have built castles, and even if you see some of the other castles that exist in, in France, whether it's the Palace in Versailles or Chambord or any of these other like really beautiful buildings, they're still buildings. Like I, the, I know you just put R.R. R. Martin in there so that I would tag R.R. <laughs> R. Martin. I just, I, and also just to know that I was paying, make sure that I was paying attention. But I mean, to see something of that magnitude is, is really, really impressive. Yeah, still going to have to tag George, I have a feeling. Sorry. Um, one of the, the fun... Most fun wineries that I visited was Chateau Coupe Rose, where Coupe Rose is in cut cut rose. Uh yes. Okay. And the logo was cut like roses. a rose thorns in a in a bowl. It looks See, my like. French isn't as bad as you think it is. Well, coupe could also be cup. No, coupe is cut. It could also be cup. So it's a cup of roses. I think cut roses sounds better. Okay. Well, we we'll reach out to the winery and, and check it out after. But it was um, the the. I, I didn't write the names down and I regret that right now, but the woman who owns the winery has three children and all three of them are now involved in the winemaking. The kids are all my age, a little bit younger. So how many generations? Is this the second generation of this winery or they've been around long enough that, that they have a three or four generation? Did you find a lot of generational wineries? No, there? it was a lot of, a lot of n- newer ownership. Like so when we were talking about uh, when we were talking about Domaine de Saben, uh, Brigitte Chevalier talked about buying the winery sort of as a retirement project. I and don't know why people buy a winery as a retirement project, but uh, she said she, she said she, she had it in mind that there's a certain type of wine that she wanted to make, and this was where she wanted to do it. All, all, all more power to them, but I mean, I don't think I would buy a winery as a retirement project. People don't realize that there's still work to be done. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you have a bunch of wine to drink. Yeah, but if you're too tired to drink it. Um, but no, it was cool to see all the kids involved in the in the winemaking with like a lot of enthusiasm. Um, That's all this, the wine that there is, right? And People have was, a lot of enthusiasm when there's wine to drink. This was a winery that we were at that had uh, amphoras. Oh, what do you think of the wines coming out of the amphora? Um, I, I'll be honest. I've been to some wineries with amphoras, and I don't know if I'm totally convinced uh, about them. Uh, I know that there's concrete yeah, not, tanks that are, that are being I'm, used. I'm, I'm okay with the concrete tanks, but the amphoras, not 100% sold on them We yet. were talking about the, like a barrel tasting, right? We tasted the wines right out of the amphora, and... Like the wines that were coming out were like really meaty and funky. Like it was it was Syrah and uh, Grenache and a few other things kind of mixed in there, but mainly Syrah coming out of the Amphora at Coupe Rose. And I mean, you could see the potential that was coming down the road, but like you really had to like focus to get the fruit out. Like these were really funky, funky wines. That being said, though, it wasn't faulted wine. Like it wasn't, no, just, it wasn't just, volatile acidity. I'm just not it sure. Wasn't, I'm liking the structure, and I know that uh, I'm looking forward. And just because we mention him almost you know, every second podcast, I know Brian Schmidt has some uh, some amphoras 
uh, over at Vineland. And I'm looking forward to trying those wines. But I've never, I so far I have not been uh, on my travels, been you know totally sold on the Amphora wines. The wines at Coupe Rose were great. That's why they made the list. We sat down Good. for lunch and we had a very simple kind of French farmhouse lunch. And it was one of those things, one of those moments too, where, you know, I think it was almost apologized for that, you know, this lunch was this simple French lunch where like we handed around bread and a little bit of charcuterie and some cheese. It was just like, no, like it was a really authentic experience. When are you ever going to get a chance to sit down with the owner of the winery, her three winemaker kids, break bread, drink their delicious wines and, you know, just mow down like. And you uh, did. Did you have steak there too? No, there was. Uh, did you yeah, have cheese? We did have steak. Cheese? We did have steak there. Okay. They, they, they were cooking up some, it was duck duck on a skewer and I think it was some beef on a skewer too. It was a good lunch. Oh, all right. Well, excellent. So uh, you got a couple more you want to throw out there? Or you're gonna you're gonna lie us all down with some beef and bread. Uh, you know, I got three other producers I need to give a shout out to okay. Chateau d'Anglais in La Clap. Which La Clap, that's really funny, it's right? The, it's it's the funnest AOC to see. But if we take a look at the map here, you hey, can see. Did you did you get some La Clap? I did not get La Clap while I was there. But you see how La Clap is Should have brought some home. Could have right, given it to Anya. Right on the coast of the Mediterranean. Yeah. So when we visited this winery, Donglet, you could see like right from the front door of the tasting room, you can see the Mediterranean Ocean. Or sorry, Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean yeah. is not an ocean. I know that. Sure you do. But I just I have a lot of enthusiasm to talk about this. Um, and the winery is, is cool to visit. The portfolio is structured pretty simply with like a Grand Vin and then a second wine. Um, so very Bordeaux-ish. Yeah, and Bordeaux-shaped it, it, bottles yeah. too. Um, yeah. And... But I mean, Grand Vin, and then a secondary wine, and that was pretty much their portfolios. Yeah, and it so was very, very tasty yeah. stuff. And these wines uh, do work their ways in, into the LCBO. So Chateau d'Anglais is something to look, look for. D'Anglais and Shadow of the English? Is that kind of... Uh, uh, but spelt A-N-G-L-E, accent grave S. So oh, okay. Yeah. Anglais. Something like that. Another oh, cool look thing, at me pulling out the French. And another cool thing about uh, La Clap and that winery was um, they had drip irrigation set up for uh, some of their vines. Oh, interesting. All right. So it's, it gets warm, down, warm enough down there that they want to do drip irrigation. Did you notice a lot of irrigation there? No, there was virtually no irrigation because the French don't allow irrigation with the AOC regulations. But there's some exceptions made for Languedoc, and I'm not sure if it's... Because of climate change, but it's one of those things where as the region adapts, I think uh, for the region to survive, especially while it's undergoing, um, you know, sort of a, a renaissance or a rebrand as they're trying to work it out, you're going to see more um, more irrigation just to be able to keep the vines alive as they take hold. Uh, I mean, it's sort of a, a, a I guess it's it's a, a sad reality of where we are in, in 2019, right? Got it. Yeah. But I mean, the quality of the wines is is great. Like, I don't think the quality of the wines are necessarily going to suffer because of the existence of of irrigation. But it's just, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what it's going to do to, I don't know, the cost of these bottles. Because like I said, one of the highlights of the trip were the fact that all these very premium handmade organic wines were very affordable. But the more you put into making them in terms of cost, that's got to be passed down somewhere, right? Okay. Um. Our last day on October 4th was unbelievable. Completely unbelievable, the wineries that we visited that day. Uh, Domaine Leris, um, we got taking to some of the most impressive steep 
vineyards I've seen in France. There. So these are steep enough, and they're probably growing white wines, I'm assuming, up the hill? or are they nope, doing red, red wine as well? Nope, they okay. were harvesting uh, Syrah the day that I was there. On and the hills. Anyone who was lucky enough to follow me on Instagram, I posted um, a, a story. I think I've got the Langdoc stories up on my profile as well, and I already said at Andre Wine Review. But they have a, a team of Polish vineyard workers. Really? All right. Who harvested everything by hand. And it's kind of cool to see the, the apparatus. Like, it's an old... Really kind of old school, like, way of dealing with, like, there's no machines involved, whatever. Like, you have one guy with a giant sort of grape backpack. Yeah. And all the other vineyard workers have small, like, five kilogram boxes of uh, grapes and everything's being cut by hand. You dump them into the backpack. The guy walks down the hill and dumps them into, like, a a trailer on the back of a tractor that's going to work its way to the winery eventually. Yeah. And, um... They get a lot of uh, they get a lot of juice like like crush from the, the the grapes. So there's a lot of juice within this dump truck. Well, that's exactly what I was just about to say. Is it's a really gentle way to deal with the fruit. You don't have the machines involved. Everything's being done by hand. Yeah, you know, it's a really way to just kind of protect the integrity of the fruit until it gets to the. So it's not self. Winery. It's not self crushing though. Is what? No, no, no. Because they put it. That, it's they not self crushing. Got it. All right. So there's that. And then you've got one more uh, one more place you want to you want to give a, a shout out to. I do, and I must have I must have been like completely off my rocker when I made these notes last night because that's nothing. New. I didn't write the name of the winery down. But what? It was uh, no. one I, like I was I left this place profoundly moved by uh, what I tasted. Domen. Were you profoundly moved, or did you have a movement? Domen Ledogar. Okay. Oh, so you've got a name. All right, okay. And. If you take a look at, I've, I've got the sign for the winery. Xavier and Matthew Ledigar were the winemakers. And they've just added the name Benoit up at the top. Yeah. So it's three brothers who have uh, kind of come together to make the wine and run the winery. So it's the Henry of Pelham of, uh, of the Long Dog. And the, the third brother was sort of a prodigal brother who just recently joined. So when you see the sign, it's kind of amusing to see the third name just kind of added Scrawled in, in the past year. So the really cool thing about, about this winery was, um, a nat- you know what, we can kick it around what makes a winery a natural winery. But this place, I'm going to say they were a natural winery because the because uh, uh, they weren't calling themselves a natural winery. You they were calling it them. Yes, I'm. I'm going to say that it was a, a winery that specializes in natural wine. Very little sulfur, very little done to the wines. Amphora at this winery too, but um, these wines were. I'm going to make the same joke I always make. As the beer snobs say, sessionable. Sessionable. Yeah, I kind of wait, waited for that one. But I mean, that's the thing, though, is when you think about so natural rich, wine, when rich you think, in concentration, or do we rich, have like rich in concentration, but you know, perfect balance of, of tannin acid and alcohol uh vibrant fruity living wines wines that don't need an instruction manual because when someone says natural wine to me and i know there are tasty natural wines out there so don't at me but when i think natural wine i think about the people who are like really oh this is a natural wine we're talking about fussy wines that need an instruction manual i don't give two flying f- that Ledogar makes their wines in a natural way because they taste awesome. And I know I'm getting worked up about this. You're getting a little cursy. Uh, no, but I, I think it, it just comes down to the fact that I think, I, I understand branding and marketing is very important and good on this winery for being able to brand and market themselves as a natural winery. 
You could put these wines on the shelves of the LCBO and they should fly off the shelves, not because they're natural, but because they taste very, 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 very good. All right. They're really good wines. Like, um, you know, I, I listed off the seven wineries, but if I had to pick a, a top two, it's Domaine Ledogar and uh, Domaine de Seben. Like, these are wines that we need in the market immediately. So, a couple a couple quick follow-up questions. Did you find the alcohols were really high or, no. or pretty much pretty much 13 and a half? No, 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 no. Okay, we're, we're talking still- really high. We're, we're talking north of 14, most between 14 and 15. I don't think I saw anything higher than 15%, but we're talking like especially since we're dealing with smaller producers, producers who are really involved in the viticulture as well, really balanced uh, wines, even with the alcohol being a little bit high. All right. That's kind of what my question was being in the south of France. I was just wondering if we were dealing with a lot more. Well, it's sort of like I said earlier in the podcast, like when you picture wines without alcohol, like even something like a, a Chateau Neuf du Pop, like the, the juiciness and jamminess just kind of, Fills your cheeks, which well, I mean, that's the alcohol. That's a higher alcohol and, that and that's comes it, in, and that's and that's the, the sweetness of the fruit comes in. hundred percent. But, but that but alcohol know, but, also adds that kind of sexiness to it that we all kind of love. And that's it. When you pick up a bottle of of, of, of Chateau Nifty Pap, you know what you're yeah, getting you get into. Some, yeah. um, I'd say the Langdoc elegance is a key word when we're talking about these smaller producers. These wines were elegant with a capital E. So you enjoyed everything you had there. Mostly, mostly. Did you have a favorite wine or a favorite grape? Like, I know when you went to Chile, you liked the pa- Pais uh, grape, and you got to really... Uh, well, wasn't that, that the Pais had an impact on me? It, 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 for me, like, once again, was the whole concept of having people who were reclaiming, you know, the heritage of, of Chilean Correct. wine. so now that they were... And, and, the, and the wines, you know, once again, we're talking about another producer who's making natural wine, but the wines aren't good because they're natural. The wines are good because they're good. Great, but you didn't have to even tell if, if they're good, then you don't even have to say they're natural. But by putting them into a natural category, yes. now you're making me look at you know natural wine and go, ah, I don't like natural wine. So it's it's sad that we have to say, oh, they're good for a natural well, wine. Here's, and that's but, a, this is a, this is a story for a whole other podcast. No, I know, I am and, sure. and, and I, I think I think sort of the takeaway is, is just kind of a little bit bad on on my part too because I don't think I don't think natural wines are necessarily bad, but it's also you know that saying, it's not the band, it's their fans? No. You know, there's certain bands that just have the most annoying fans on the planet. And I feel like when you're talking about people who are these like natural winophiles, like who are just going out of their way and they're, they worship this style of winemaking while in general disregarding even, let, let, let's just for lack of a better term, write off more commercial styles of, of winemaking. Like that really grinds my gears. Good wine is good wine. Good wine is good wine, and we we shouldn't have to say that it's good because it's natural. And I I think I've told this story before of, of being in in Portugal and and being at a a natural winery and and the guy telling me oh but it's it's not um, it's not uh, being told that on a competition this wine wouldn't show well but if you knew it was a natural wine you you think it's it's better yes and i don't think that's how it should be wine should be wine and it's good because it's wine not because it's natural not because it's whatever a good I mean, wine that's it. should like, be a like good the, wine. the man ledogar wines which would show well in a competition if we were doing a syrah competition because they're good wines correct and that's and that's what it should be it shouldn't be because it's a natural wine so it's a it should be a good wine but, and it, but it needs explanation good wine does not need exclamation explanation good wine needs a good story it doesn't need an explanation. 
And that's where I'm going to stop. Well, um, like I said, we got to find a way back. Uh, I once again, thanks to Sopexa for letting us bring the podcast on the road. Maybe Although, next time we'll get to go together. Yeah, that'd be fun to do. And um, I, now I, I, I will say this and, and we'll do it at a, at a later date. Uh, but I also uh, did a little traveling around that time uh, to Italy. I did uh, Alto Adige, so we'll get to that one another time because yeah. I've got some interesting, uh, great, awesome. great Let's stories. Do that. And I, something else, I, I saw a presentation on uh, climate change that uh, I got to get you a, a, a link to right. so that we can talk about it uh, because there were some great statistics that the guy was throwing out. So we'll do that on another podcast because I think we're out of time. Yes. I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com. I'm Andre Pru of andrewinereview.ca. I'm sorry I swore so much, but man, I just, I had to get that off my chest. I don't know. Okay, take us away, Michael. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake or check out their website at icellers.ca. Find out how you can support us like Adnan by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine.